Welcome to The Digital Patient, where we discuss the latest advancements in digital patient engagement and share stories from the front lines. I'm your host, Alan Sardana, and with me as always is Seamless MD CEO, Dr. Joshua Liu. Today, we're joined by our very special guest, Brian Dobosh. Brian is an 18-year veteran of IT and healthcare. He studied computer information systems at Quinnipiac University and started out as a programmer at RWG Barnabas Health involved with adding functionality to the EHR and overseeing its evolution. Over the years, Mr. Dobash progressed through various leadership roles and currently serves as the Vice President of Digital Health Systems. Mr. Dobash has presented at the Becker's Health IT Conference as a keynote panelist and penned the popular article, Interoperability, Are You a Frankenstein or an Onion? We'll definitely do a deep dive on that. But Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited. It's amazing to have you in digital house. <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you're an expert on this. Honestly, like 18 years is a, a long time to be with one system and really deeply involved in IT and health IT. I'd love to start at the beginning of your story. You did, like I mentioned in the bio, you did your bachelor's and your master's degree actually in computer information systems, and then immediately jumped into healthcare at RWJ Barnabas Health, where you've been ever since. And a lot of folks in your shoes, I think they would have gone maybe into tech companies, but you went into healthcare really early on and, and stuck with it. So I'm curious yeah. what drew you in initially and, and why have you stayed? So I guess the very first, my father works in healthcare. Yeah. So that has, he's been there for a long time. It's always kind of been something that's been in the background for me. I was lucky enough to do two internships kind of through college as a requirement, but also you know, I was local to New Jersey, so RWJ Barnabas Health, their IT. I got to see different portions of IT, so it wasn't just one thing. I was in the finance area. I was at the help desk, so I, I got to see the full gamut, what they were doing there. And it kind of helped me solidify that that's the place I wanted to start my career. But you're right, I, I could have left. I could have gone to a tech company. When I started, EMRs were just becoming like the thing, and I kind of saw the, the potential that it could have in the industry, really. But because they were new, they were missing a ton of stuff, things that we take for granted today. So like a medication summary, something that feels so simple and should have been there. We were building that from scratch through custom code. And it was something that the clinicians really appreciated. We were adding things like decision clinical support that went way, way above and beyond what they were doing. Sepsis screening tools, x-rays, for example. And it was something that only a few people in the organization that could do C-sharp programming and SQL. So I got to do a lot of that and kind of hone my skills, which I thought was fun because it was kind of creativity that I got to do. Um, but at the end of the day, it was really two things. It was one, I liked the organizational culture and I liked the people that I worked with. Some of them are still there actually. They're still here working in the system. So they're like 30 plus years of knowledge that with the organization and that culture that they bring. But two, I knew that the, the customizations that I was actually doing in the system were affecting patient care. They had a direct impact. So at the end of the day, it was like, I like my job. I like the people I work with and I'm making some sort of difference. Uh -huh. And so that kind of has just kept going. And with the mergers and acquisitions, we'll talk about later, probably, you know, these are things that, that kind of kept the culture moving. Brian, maybe you can unpack that a bit. It sounds like culture has been a big reason for you to to, to stay at, at, at the organization, despite it growing and all that. Are, are yeah. there one or two kind of things core to the culture that, that get you most excited day to day? So I think where we're headed, you know, we are the largest 
health system in New Jersey. So th- we have a lot of footprint. We, we see a lot of patients, but our core values are really focused on the patient. This epic implementation that we're doing, we really put our flag in the ground and said, we're going to focus on the patient. And, and, you know, that's where healthcare is going. We see from all the stuff going on in, in politics that we have to put the patient first. I mean, we should have always put the patient first in reality, but now we, now we were required by law, but, but these are things that, that we've always been trying to do that. And Epic has ha- kind of had made it a lot easier to do that. Makes a lot of sense. And you were actually involved in quite a number of Epic focused initiatives. Like yeah. I dug up from the archives, obviously my chart and Haiku, Looking Glass, Care Everywhere, like you've been involved in all of it. What's your, what's been kind of your personal favorite innovation and who did it impact and how? Yeah. So, so it's funny. I see my career as two different lives even though it's been in the same organization. So we had our pre-Epic and our, and our Epic. And I'll say Epic a lot because it's really what's in the forefront of what we're doing right now. But before Epic, we were focused on just improving the system through custom reports, applications, trying to make what, what should have been better, better. And it was focused a lot on the provider experience, right? What was in the system for them to do for the patient. But our Epic initiatives are, you know, over the past couple of years, you mentioned my chart, which is our patient portal, care everywhere, interoperability, Haiku Canto Rover, which is the mobile applications for our clinicians. We have Looking Glass for telehealth. We have Epic Care Link, which is for our community providers. They're all they're all applications. They're like my children. I love them all, but and they all make their own impact. But the biggest one that I've been involved with, and it was right from the jump, was my chart. So that 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 patient portal, we call it a patient health record, has really brought a new level of patient experience to our patients. Our adoption for the older ones were like 5% on average throughout the health system. So not really a lot of buy-in for that. And there wasn't really much in there anyways, which is why no one really used it. But for my chart now, and it's only been, you know, a year or two that they've actually been using it, we've seen adoption rates of some facilities at 65%. Some are, you know, but the average is like 30, 40%, which is huge compared to where we were. So now we're doing things like telehealth through my chart, right? Making it easier for the patient to schedule appointments or to see their medications or notes that they never saw before. So these things have really made a huge impact on the sites that have gone live and even sites that haven't because our whole system, even though they're not all on Epic yet and the journey is happening, those patients are still in our Epic system and we allow them to, to sign up and start using it. And it makes a big difference. Have you found certain tactics or strategies most helpful for driving up adoption for the patient portal? <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny because it, it does speak for itself a little bit in some aspects, right? We've done marketing campaigns for all the old portals and it, we've stood in the lobbies trying to get people to sign up, but oh. that really didn't do it for people. When you start to list out things like make your own appointment, you don't have to wait. And, and and the other thing is the auto instant activation piece of this, where I walk up to the front desk, they check me in, I'm getting pinged, hey, sign up. Damn. Or I make an appointment over the phone, you're getting pinged, hey, sign up. And it's this constant reminder, if you haven't signed up, that these are the things that you could be doing instead of waiting on the phone 
you know, schedule online. You want to see your medications, renew your medications, things like that. I think it, it actually speaks for itself, but that, that kind of auto tickler in a way of getting patients and reminding them about it has helped immensely. Kind of reminds me how, like, I think in the technology where we often talk about, it's not good enough to just have a great product. You need distribution. And so kind of the same way, it's, it's not you know, good enough to have a really great patient portal, you need distribution of patients for us to wrap a great product with no users. That that makes a ton of sense. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Totally. So Brian, you've alluded to this already, but during your 18 years with RWJ, there's been several mergers, several acquisitions, different health systems. That's basically led down to this point where you're, you're suggesting, you know, the biggest center, academic center in New Jersey if I recall, there was at one point seven distinct instances of Epic, and you've uh, now got it down to four, and the goal is to get it down to one, I think, over the next year. You you actually wrote, am I correct with that? So it wasn't seven Epic instances. It was seven different EMRs. Wow. So, and so now they're all becoming Epic. Now they're all becoming Epic, yeah. That's a huge over. This kind of ties in really well. You you wrote that brilliant article on interoperability, the Frankenstein approach versus the onion with different layers. Yeah. Could you unpack that idea for us? Yeah, no problem. So I, when I was writing the article, I, I I obviously wanted to have some sort of tagline that that people would would read the article, right? But it it's really and it was around Halloween. So, but the the Frankenstein. It really refers to, we all know it's the monster. It has all the different parts and it's stitched up and we're putting in, trying to keep it all together so that this thing could live. But when you have seven EMRs, it's not any different because they're all different components that don't want to talk to each other, don't really fit in the right. And, and we lived through that for a really, really long time. And every time we had a merger or acquisition, it just got bigger and the monster got bigger. There's a lot of maintenance. There's a lot of third-party vendors trying to connect all the dots. There's a lot of dollars that you put into that just to keep it alive, but you're never getting like the full use out of any of those products because you're just trying to make sure that nothing stops working, right? And not going to the extra, the extra step to getting the features that, that really would make a difference. On the other hand, you have the onion, right? So it's from nature, each layer, it kind of keeps that core intact and gives it structure. So even if you peel off the top layer, the rest of it is still there. And it's not going to go anywhere. Um, you know, the different pieces in that article that I mentioned. So you have your EHR. That's the like the nugget, the core of that onion. And it really determines kind of where you go, right? So if you if you could have one instance of across your health system, what are you picking? And how and how that that goes is we'll decide what the other layers do. And so the next step after that is sharing your instance. So can you share your instance with your partners? So this could be joint ventures, this could be affiliates. And obviously there's there's some laws around how much ownership stake you have and, and how you can share this, but, but this kind of gives them an opportunity to get into your instance of, uh, in our case, Epic, right? Get them the full suite of stuff, keep things separate, from a financial perspective, but from a from a patient perspective, it's this it you're walking in the same doors as if you're walking the hospital or this joint venture because they have your information, right? So that's that's another layer. The, the third layer is the referral network. And so how are you getting patients sent to your to your health system? Um, a lot of community providers have their own EHR. 
They're not interested in, you know, becoming a joint venture or an affiliate. So they, they, they're on their own or they're part of another health system for that matter. But you can, can you leverage your, your system to provide almost like a light version, right? Something that they can easily log into and they can continue that patient journey because they're seeing the patient anyway. Now they have the data that they need for the patient. And it's not about competition. It's not about any of that. It's about the patient and allowing them to, to see that information to help. Then you have intra and intersharing. So intra is EHR to EHR that are the same. So Epic to Epic, all strips, all strips, or whatever they're called out, Altera. And so it's how they connect. Now you would think like, Hey, they're the same. So that's, that's, that's a no brainer. They're, they're going to be able to send information back and forth. No problem. Well, you'd be surprised that that's not always the case. I know that there's a lot of standardization that's going on now, but that, you know, when I started and certainly not for the last, you know, 10 years, that information did not flow very easily. And it's also require a lot of uh, button pushing, right? So, so someone would have to push the button for it to go if it even went. And then you got to look up the dictionary of where to send it. There, there's a whole host of problems there. How do we make that easier where there's no thought involved by anybody and the system just knows where to send it? It's kind of like spreads it, spreads it out into the universe and whoever can get it can get it, right? Then you have the inner sharing, which is the, the, non, the non-like EHRs and how they share that information. So an all scripts to an Epic or oh. Athena, whatever it is, GE. So the, obviously this was always a tricky one because no one wanted to talk to each other. No one wants to speak the same language. That has obviously gotten easier over time with the CCDs and the PAMI data, but it's still just, there's, there is a burden on the organizations to figure out how to send that. The HIEs have helped a ton by kind of removing that burden. But it's, it's just another layer that if it's easy and it occurs without you having to think about it, it that's that's money in the bank right there. Then there's Pop Health. All right. Pop Health is a really important initiative, taking care of your customers' lives, controlling costs, that, that type of stuff. And this is really, I don't say it's a relatively new, but it's like, you know, five or, five or so years where we're really looking out to other organizations, ECOs, the accountable organizations to to take care of those patient lives, but are, there, are they doing it in a different system or are they doing it in your system? How can they, how can we keep that record all the same? That's the ease of use in, in that population health. And the last one is web services, which, you know, APIs have always been there, but the web services component of it is really newer, the newest technology of this. And it really allows organizations to harness the power of the internet and these vendors who can just basically plug and play, right? So you have Fire, which is the basically the, the framework that standardizes all the medical lingo so that you don't really need to know the problems, medications, whatever. And then you have Smart. So Smart is, uh, and I had to look this up because I didn't know the, the word, substitutable medical applications and reusable technologies. I like Smart better, but Smart really allows, it's like a dinner menu, right? The vendors look down the list, they pick what they want for the patient data or whatever data they're looking for. And they can just say, give me that into my application. It's really a plug and play. Um, and it, and it has been a game changer really for, for anyone to create an application. They could put it in one EMR, they could put it in another EMR. They don't have to rebuild anything. 
if that place has Florida on fire because it's just plug and play, like I said. So really the gist of it is you want to be an onion, even <laughs> though they could be smelly, they taste great. You don't want to be a Frankenstein because it's a <laughs> lot of dollars. Uh, and I've been there, I've been in both and mm -hmm. the onion is way, way better. That's awesome. But first of all, amazing framework that you, Brian, it, it, you made it real easy for, I think a lot of us non-technical folks to get a better yeah. understanding of how to think about building and growing these systems. I'm curious, you know, like we're seeing a lot of predation in the market and, you know, when we look at some large systems who maybe they are operating in different states or regions and they've merged now, you know, I've seen a mix up, you know, some consolidating on a single EHR, some kind of keeping their EHR separate, like maybe one was on Epic, one was on Cerner and they're, they yeah. both have very large implementations. Any thoughts on like, you know, when it maybe, it maybe doesn't make sense necessarily to get it all in one one system like for example we're in two different states and yeah. we're in two EHRs and patients probably will never go back and forth are, are there real barriers going forward to keeping them separate and any thoughts on how you would think about that sort of situation yeah I mean look I, there's there's probably a situation that that warrants having different medical records or different EHRs I just it's hard for me to fathom how the, with the economies of scale of having an enterprise wide contract or having one IT, one IT team dealing with one system rather than having two systems, right? It, it, listen, it makes it easy to say, Hey, we're just going to keep ours. We're just going to keep on keeping on. We'll stitch them together, you know, two. Okay. Seven is, is crazy, but the two. Like you could probably figure figure it out. I would just say that there's probably a lot more. It's a lot of work. I know that. That's for sure. But at the end of the day, if you if you take a step back, is it is it helping or hurting the patient? Right? Are we doing the patient justice? Maybe the patients won't be crisscrossing. But do we want to maintain that single record? Do we want to have a dedicated IT IT team that is focused on one set of standards? or two different systems, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying that to me, sometimes it, it the harder road is the best road. Definitely. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes the hard, the hard work is the important work and also yeah, in some ways keeping it simple and consolidating can, can make a big impact. And to your point, the long-term operationally, there's that, like that ongoing overhead that we have to keep in mind. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. One of the things that was really impressive about your, your epic rollout is that even though we have the pandemic going on at RWJ Barnabas, you know, your team maintained Epic's perfect 10 gold star ranking, which placed you among the top 0.3% of all Epic users. First of all, congratulations. That's an amazing accomplishment. Second of all, like, how did you do that? <laughs> I can't give away the secret sauce. Yes. <laughs> no, no. And so... So we, I got it. The first, the credit goes to our executive leadership team that put this whole project together because not at any point did we skimp on anything, right? We said, we're going to buy this system. We're going to invest in it and we're going to do everything we can to make it the best. We start from the foundation, best practices, all of that. And we, we just go from there. Um, and this wasn't something that we marketed. Like we didn't go out and say, we have to do these features or else, right? There's, I mean, there's, there's a ton of these features that are there and not all of them make sense. So, you know, there was a ton where I'm like, oh, this looks like it's easy. And it's like, it's easy, but we don't, there's not, not something that we need to do. 
because of X, Y, and Z. Like there's always some reasons, right? Third party vendor or whatever. But it, it, we really invested all of our chips into this and we, we put the patient at the focus. So if we go to our operational leaders who are tremendous and we said, look, there's something that ethics suggests. Let's see if it makes sense. Not let's do it. Let's see if this makes sense for us. And when we put the framework towards the patient, nine times out of 10, they said, you know, this is something that we should do. Let's see how we can do it. And I don't think anyone really fully understood Gold Star. I mean, we explained it, what it was, but no one really fully understood the impact until we got that award because they had looked back and seen all of the work and all the features and all the workflows that we put into the system and how it's impacted uh, our staff because there's a lot of workflows, obviously, that the staff get out of that, but also the, the patient outcomes as well. Again, I don't want to give away the secret sauce. The team has been amazing. And, and really, now that we've accomplished this one, we're, we're not really, we're not satisfied, oh. <laughs> right? So we have next year, we have a new set of, of gold star items to look at. And, you know, we just want to keep that momentum going forward and, and everybody's on board. So it's really, it's really great. Yeah, I, I love that. It's kind of like the, the co-development with your team, the understanding, you know, would this actually make an impact on patients and getting their input and working together kind of collaboratively on that approach. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, your current role as VP of digital health is super broad in its scope. So I know you've already mentioned, you know, you're working at these different gold star rankings and, and yeah. features to add, but what does it mean to you personally to digitally transform our WJ Barnabas to be that premier academic yeah. innovation center? So I look at my role at digital health as a mix between digital, between technology and patient experience. And it's, it's not just technology. It's not just patient experience and health outcomes. It's, it's, it's a mix of both. Right. And so to, to kind of be the steward of that technology that helps bring the clinicians and the patients closer together using that technology. There's a lot of digital front doors. There's a lot of tools out there. Some work, some don't, you know, we got to figure that out. And that's kind of what my job is to do to cipher through that. We, do we need to invest in robots right now? Or do we wait, right? So there's a leap in technology. That's something that we need to focus on. But these are things that I look at a daily basis. And I know, look, Josh, you saw me talk about the, the gap map right? My digital gap yeah. map, those, that's something that we just, we have printed out. We review it. If there's something that pops up, let's, let's take a look. Do we need this? Is this something that we really need? Okay. Well, if we need it, when do we need it by? Is it six months? Is it 12 months? Maybe we don't need it at all. Right. And technology is, is rapidly changing so fast that that reevaluation never stops. We're, we're doing that on a daily basis, honestly. And it's really at the end of the day, it's how do we we take that technology, if it's worthwhile, and improve the care, improve the patient experience, and and the provider experience, honestly, because it's it's not one or the other; it's both of them. If Brent, can I ask you? I think at this point, like RWJ has, is it fourteen or fifteen hospitals across? So something quite, quite well, large. Yeah, we have twelve. 12. And so when you think about, I guess, scaling up innovation, any advice on on how to approach that? Like, for example, when if you were to start small somewhere and then grow it, what does that mean for you? Like, are you 
like, are you starting at a certain facility? Are you starting at a single department and facility? How do you think about starting and then scaling something new? Yeah. So we, so that's a great question because we have a mix of hospitals, right? So we have, we have the academic hospitals, we have the community hospitals, we have the cancer Institute of New Jersey, right? We have Rutgers medical school. So we, there's, they're, they're almost all different. So, and, and they're from North to South. So okay. you go to one set of a campus and it's, their needs are way different than what maybe the central of New Jersey needs. So we're really in looking for governance throughout this, right? So you need to have some sort of local hospitals have to have their own initiatives. There's a lot, a lot of ideas within those hospitals, but sometimes they're stifled. Sometimes they don't hear about other hospitals and what they're doing, right? Until they're already doing it. So we really need to, to take a really good look at governance and how those ideas get brought up to the top. Not necessarily do them all because that's that's not that's not possible, right? With with our, our resource constraints, what are the priorities and and see how some of them can be offloaded and done like proof of concepts and, and, and look at a community versus an academic hospital, right? In different regions. But it really, to your point, we have to be cognizant of all of them and not just one where today it could just pop up. We have a new technology at one of the hospitals. Well, <laughs> who looked at it? Where did it come from? What are we going to do with it? Why isn't it everywhere? Those types of questions that we got to continuously ask. And I think there is a building momentum especially because of the pandemic and everybody wants to be so nimble that we have to work together. Otherwise we're working against each other. I gotta say one of the neat things about IT and digital is that you're very much the connective tissue for, for the health system. I mean, you know, a lot of these different hospitals may often have their own clinical protocols and pathways and practices, yeah. but IT and digital is that one constant. You're all on the same you know, ultimately yeah. Epic Instance, for example, that's actually a really good opportunity to standardize best practices and, and enable standardization. That, that's actually really cool. Yeah, 100%. We we look at ourselves as a strategic enabler, yeah. right? We, we want to be able to help our customers, whether they're patients or staff, do what they need to do to get the job done and have a great experience. And, and really, it, it's... It's really, it's not an easy task. That's, I mean, to, to be that, that, but we want to be giving ideas as well and not just getting orders, right? So to speak from the, you know, if there's a, we're, we're doing this. Okay. But, but have you thought about this or bringing it to them early and say, Hey, there's just something out in the market. This is really interesting. Maybe you guys should think about it. And then that kind of sparks the, the enabler part of it where, where the focus can be working as one. Yeah. On the note of like collaborating with your frontline clinical staff, I'm I'm curious, what's sort of like the the system that works best for kind of filtering out that feedback from the frontline? Because you have, I'm guessing, you know, maybe thousands of like frontline clinicians. Um, is there a, a system that you've employed or implemented to collect feedback, or how does that that work right now? Yeah, so so this is this is newer for our organization as well, and we're starting to evolve it where we have some sort of intake process, right? So we need, we first of all need everyone to, to, to say, okay, this is, we're going to all fill out this form and we're going to make sure that we know the who, the why, 
And what is the value that it brings? Is this something that's just something that's fun for someone? Or, you know, is this really going to make an impact? And then from a, from that's from a local level, have the local folks vet it as a first pass and say, does this make sense for our cardiology line or doesn't it? Right? Okay, well, now we have a cardi cardiology line at three other hospitals. We need to at least alert them that this is something we're thinking about, right? So that has to go up to the next level where there's a innovation or a digital health, whatever we want to call it, council that can kind of review and, and talk these through before it even gets to the point where someone's signing a contract, right, for, for something that we don't even know about. That's where we're starting from. I'm sure there's there's a lot of other avenues, but we, we definitely don't want to follow those those innovative because they're on the front lines. They they see what's working. They they know what things that they could be changed, whether it's technology or not. You know, ultimately, you know, innovation doesn't have to be just technology. So we're we're trying to grow that program and, and make sure that everyone feels like they're being heard. Awesome. That, that's wonderful. So, you know, we saw you speak last month at Becker's annual digital health conference and yeah. you were on, you were on stage on, on the keynote panel and you, you shared, you know, your three main priorities for digital health transformation, which were equity experience and engagement. Do you mind unpacking what you mean by, by each of those? Yeah. Okay. That, that's fair. I, I know we don't get a lot of time on those, those keynotes. So, so digital experience, I think it can be both from a patient or a provider experience perspective, right? So much of the technology that we use touches both both customers. And, and did a patient who checked in through my chart hit too many stops, right, when they're trying to check in? Or did the physician connected to the telehealth have audio video problems? Um, so we're thinking of ways that trying to make that digital experience more meaningful, less cumbersome, whatever you want to call it. And I, I always, and you know, it's playoff World Series time, and I always want to think about technology to be a lot like a baseball umpire, right? If they're doing a great job, you don't even know they're there. Yeah. When they're doing a terrible job, that's all you think about, and that's right. all you focus your attention on. And it ends up being a terrible experience, right? So we're really trying to focus and be like that umpire that had a perfect strike call the other day for digital engagement so that's referring to how our customers are connecting to us so are they getting reminders about their health do they have the ability to connect with someone through any of our front doors to ask a medical question or schedule an appointment there are a lot of people whose only interactions really with healthcare is their physical or their dental appointments <laughs> right how are we putting in the right mechanisms to interact with them and keep them engaged so that when it's time for something else other than that they're coming to our health system for those services, right? And then digital health equity. This is like, this is the hardest one. We, I know everyone's talking about it. There's there's not a lot of answers right now. <laughs> and so I think this is the one, that, but this is like, how do we help the underserved communities not get left behind by digital technologies? So whether they don't have the knowledge, the skills, or the resources to interact with these products. So you, you, could, you could have co-appointments through my chart, and that's the only way that people can get appointments. Well, then what do we do with everyone else who doesn't have the ability to do that, right? So these are the underserved. Our communities, we have we fit that scenario. We have a lot of that. So we're we're trying to focus on ways that we can help bridge that gap and and and, and fix that scenario. But again, that is a huge, huge, and by far the the hardest one to to really manage. That's awesome. I, I love that framework. I'm curious as you plan out let's say the next year, kind of the key initiatives you're doing is part of the approach that 
you aim to bucket key opportunities underneath one of those three categories. And then if something doesn't fit, does it, do you start questioning, hey, should this really be a priority next year if it doesn't really fit one of these areas? Or or, or how do you use that framework to kind of as a, as a guiding force? Yeah, I, I think when, when I start to think about any of these topics that are brought to us for innovation, are they meeting these? And if the answer is, yeah, well, this is going to make the greatest digital experience you've ever had, but it's going to leave, you know, 50% of our resources behind that it's out, right? Well, we got to find something else. Or if it, the engagement is going to be through the roof, but the experience is horrendous, right? We're not doing it. So I think these tenants are kind of going to be the underpinning for any of these things that we're doing to make sure that they, there's no detriment. So maybe it keeps digital engagement at a neutral, but it enhances experience and it enhances equity. Well, we'll, we'll do that. But huh. if it's a, to a detriment, we're not doing it. Makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. You've also alluded to this already in the conversation, but there being a need for technology. So not, not just looking at the lens of equity, experience, and engagement, but is there an actual problem that we're looking to solve with technology? It's not just technology being thrown in there just because it's cool. Are there any particular frameworks that you're using on a, a weekly, a monthly, quarterly basis to determine if the technology is actually important? Yeah. So it's funny, right? So we, so we talk about there's 12 hospitals. We have a large, large medical group, CINJ, medical school, children's specialized hospital. So we have a lot of ideas coming at us, but what we're basing and we're grounding ourselves with is can we do it in Epic, right? We spent a lot of money to get Epic. We're implementing all these features. Is this something Epic has or it's coming in the next, you know, quarterly update? Or is this something that they're not, it's not even on their map or they're two years out, right? Then we maybe we'll think about bolting it on. But we're really at EHR first, vendor second, shop. We've lived the life of doing everything first and and adding whatever we can, the kitchen sink, right, into the EMRs. And again, it turns into Frankenstein. So you can have one EHR, but if you have 65 vendors, you're you're basically a Frankenstein, right? And that should also raise red flags if you're adding all these vendors on because that means you don't have the right EHR, <laughs> right, essential. So, so those are the types of things we're looking at to make sure that it's not just a cool, neat thing that we want to play with. And it's really, if we can't do an Epic, let's add it on. And if, if, if it's worth it, right? It, it can't be just something that there's no value to. Every vendor will tell you if you let them that they're going to increase patient satisfaction by 50% and they're going to, you know, decrease your costs by a thousand percent if you let them, right? So we just keep that gap map handy and we make sure that we have what we have and we use what we use to make sure that we're not buying something that is duplicative of, of, of something we have. Cool. But you know, Brian, it sounds like if you buy five of those solutions, you'll be able to increase patient satisfaction by 250% and I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're right. That's how it works, right? Fuzzy math. <laughs> well, that's true. I'm, I'm so curious about this gap map now. <laughs> Seems like a cheat sheet. Like I need this. It really is. Life. That's so good. That's part of the secret sauce. I'm telling yeah. you. <laughs> I love that. Brian, you've also discussed your thoughts around there needing to be almost a culture shift at levels of the organization and even beyond like 
looking at the general population, the public policy, et cetera. And that's always, you know, regarding any type of innovation digitally. What have you found to be an effective strategy in at least starting those conversations? So it's, it's, it, it sounds simple and it's not, but it sounds simple. You just have to put people's perspective of they're going to be a patient one day. Therefore, yeah. right? Because everyone will be. Some of you're going to be a patient. Your mom and dad are going to be a patient. Your, your son or daughter are going to be patients. And so when you start to talk of digital innovation and these things that, you know, three years, four years ago, we didn't, we didn't want to spend money on these things, right? With the pandemic, everybody needs to be nimble now. We've seen how at the drop of a hat, you, you could be done. Your system could be closing because you can't switch around things, right? So I'm lucky because innovation is something that the senior leadership has been focused on. And, you know, it's really empowering as an executive, especially since I'm in digital health, that they're, they've bought into this, right? They want to nurture it and grow it and and uh, invest in it but th- that is the that is the secret is really when people have when you get pushback it's like okay let's give you an example of where this could be an effective strategy and it always comes de- back to imagine you're laying in the bed imagine mom and dad are laying in the bed and this is something that could have saved their life right those are the types of things that we have to think about when we're doing digital health yeah for sure yeah, I like that. That's a, it's actually very, very impactful, I think. Just getting people to think about what if it were you or what if it yeah. was your family. Like, it brings it personal and it becomes more yeah relevant. Yeah. That's at really awesome. Day, yeah. At the end of the day, the almighty dollar wins, right? But it's something that does change a conversation, at least lets you get in the door. Whereas before, it was never a conversation that you could actually have. Yeah. It feels like sometimes one of the hardest things about building in digital health is that it can be hard to kind of dog food your own products. You know, for example, like even for us, like if, if we're producing stuff that's very patient facing, it's not like we're building Microsoft Outlook where we're using email all the day as an organization and we can dog food it. Health is a bit unique where you may not be able to dog food everything. And to your point, yeah. you have to keep reminding yourself, okay, like what if I were a patient? What if this was my my parent or, or my, my, you know, my spouse, you know, my, my child, then, yeah. then you start really thinking differently, but you have to remind yourself of that sometimes that that's a really good point. Yep. 100%. Um, Brian, I'd love to get your take on this. We, we tend to ask this to all the digital leaders, but today there is an explosion of patient facing innovations. There's everything from chat bots and digital care journeys, remote patient monitoring. What in terms of a patient facing innovation, like what is most exciting to you today? So I'm glad you didn't ask what's going, what's most exciting in five years, because I've gotten that question and I'm like, things change like every month. Yeah. I, and I always laugh because I'm, I always think back to when I was in yeah, CIS 101, right? The first thing they teach you is about Moore's law. And mm. it's always like, you know, it, it doubles every two years and okay. the, cost, the, the power doubles and the cost goes down by half. And, and really that's not true anymore. Right, companies are smarter. So it's not the prices aren't going down, but but everything is more complicated, yeah. and and things are getting generated so much faster. But I my biggest thing right now that I'm today is remote patient monitoring. There's a there's a unique opportunity for growth, especially with the pandemic and and people realizing that they're not going to always be able to go to the hospitals or or, or the clinics to be seen, but 
the the use of technology, especially with iPads and, and the smart devices, has become a lot easier, mostly because people are just getting used to it, right? You have older populations who are on my chart. You have people who are using these devices that you, 10 years ago, there was no way Grandpa Joe was going to be able to use a phone at all, let alone a smartphone, right? So I think this area is becoming really, really popular. There's a lot of use cases for a lot of the chronic diseases. There's some OB use cases that we're looking at that I think will allow us to really get into the customer's home with the technologies so they don't have to come back every, you know, every week. And we can kind of monitor everything from home without them having to, to do that kind of traveling. Um, I'm really excited about it. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, obviously we are too. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but that, no, that, oh, that it, what you do. <laughs> it, yeah. No, but it makes so much sense. I mean, like, if you really are patient centered, you want what is the experience that your patient wants to have, and and half the time it's like, yeah, I want it in the comfort of my own home with my family yeah. around me, and like it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's flip over now, Brian, being mindful of your time, to the fast five lightning round. So okay. five questions to get to know you better for our audience. Uh, right. The first question we have, this one's unique for you, but Mets or Phillies? Mets, hundred <laughs> percent. So my my I I live in the like the Philadelphia area, and my kids, my wife, my in laws, they're all Phillies fans. Unfortunately, oh, no. in this World Series of time, so I'm not a happy camper, but I'm a Mets fan and. There's always next year. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So Brian, are, are you cheering for Houston right now or are you just not cheering for anyone? I, you know, <laughs> I think what is the saying? Happy wife, happy life. So, uh, well, let, let, if the Phillies win, it'll be a good day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good, good for your That's wife. Good. good for you too. Awesome. Question two Who's a person, either dead or alive, you'd love to meet? God, this, this is a really hard question. I, I would probably say, and it's cheating a little bit, but it's the founding fathers. I don't right. have a particular one <laughs> I would want to meet, but I, I, again, in the Philadelphia area, I go down and I see the, the, the hall and Liberty Bell often, and I was thinking about what an interesting, interesting time that was. Yeah. I probably wouldn't want to live then, but right. I, I would definitely want to make that, meet that. You don't like to visit. That's great. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, question three, would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? I think if I could turn it off, yeah. the ability to read minds, mm -hmm. I think that would be a very, I think it would be more powerful than strength or speed. Fair. Yeah. Four, what is something in healthcare you believe that others might find insane? If I flip the wrong switch in something in a system that someone could die. Yeah, that is insane. Yeah, that's very true. Last question that we have, this one we might have to scrap at some point, some point <laughs> soon, but this is a, a pandemic lockdown related question. What is one hobby or activity you've gotten into since the beginning of the pandemic? So in the beginning of the pandemic, I got a guitar. It's still sitting over there in the corner somewhere trying, but it's, it's, it's a long, it's a long row. I, I did end up getting a, a hydro rower. So it's oh, nice. like okay. yeah. what they call the Peloton of, of rowing. Yeah. I, I like it a lot. It, it makes you actually feel like you're rowing uh, cool. and it's a really good workout. So that's, I guess that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of that before. So is this, it's like a Peloton where you have a screen and there's a screen and it's a rower, it's a rowing machine. 
and you know, there's they have the different personal trainers, whatever they whatever they're yeah. called, personalities on the river rowing. <laughs> And they, they do live rows. They do oh, that's cool. a lot of recorded ones. So you get to see like, you know, the, the Schuylkill trip down up here, mm-hmm. right? Or you go to California. Wow. Uh, they have some international ones. It's pretty neat. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Josh, we have to get one for the office. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it, great. So they actually are on a river when they're recording this. They are. Wow. And people are on a boat filming it. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I, and they, they have uh, some other stuff that's on land, but the, but the, obviously the core stuff is, is the river and they do, they do different kind of like versions of it. So like they'll do the, the hit or they'll do right. like breathing or they'll do yeah. so like the intensity definitely goes up when you're, when you're doing that versus like the breathing. Is. Right. But oh, it's cool. Cool. It's cool. You're like, hold, I just did 2000 meters. I don't know yeah. how far that is, but that's Dallas <laughs> Park. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do, uh, do, sweet. do you know if like they have an application for like Oculus or some other VR headset so you can feel like if you turn around, you're actually that's on water or if they don't, someone might invent it now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. That's actually one area I want to look into too is, is VR. Yeah. I knew there's, I, there's a lot of places that could do training. And I mean, obviously for gaming, but for, for, for healthcare related stuff, it, it's an area that's interesting. I think there's a lot of room to grow, but I just, I don't know. I don't know yet. It feels a little too fakeish to me still right. when I see some of the images. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think I recall you were, you brought that up on a Becker's podcast about yeah. surgical training and stuff like right, that. Right. Possibly yeah. in the future. Yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, they say that when they did this, there's a couple studies that said that there was like an 80% increase in the speed of the surgery wow. when when the surgeon, and obviously the safety patient care and all that was was also, um, was great. But yeah, yeah. It, it, it's definitely an area to look at, that's for sure. Very cool, yeah. Well, we'll have to have you back on the podcast when that technology is more prevalent yeah. and you all right. <laughs> have a we'll, chance we'll meet. That. We'll meet in the met, in the <laughs> yeah, meta. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's great. Awesome. Uh, well, Brian, we'll we'll wrap it there. Thanks so much for coming on the show. That's a wrap no, for this episode of the Digital Patient, hosted by SeamlessMD. You can follow us on Twitter at SeamlessMD, and if you like the podcast, you want to learn more, www.seamless.md. Brian, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it, Brian. Mm-hmm.